Good morning, everyone. Um, welcome this morning. I don't know if you know, I think I've mentioned it maybe a few times or not, but I don't like preaching much. I just like talking about Jesus. And this morning, in my mind and in my heart, I thought, I don't want to preach another sermon, you know. I don't want to sermonize all the time. I don't want to defend the faith all the time. I don't want to dissect scriptures and expound on that. I just want to talk about Jesus. And I want to talk about how beautiful Jesus is. That's all. I just want you to know Jesus is beautiful. He is very, very beautiful. And this sermonizing and this formalities of things take away from the fact that Jesus is beautiful. My brother Barry is asking me, are you preaching Sunday? And I said, I don't want to preach anymore. And he said, why? I said, because I just want to tell people that Jesus is beautiful. And he goes, oh, no, you can't do that. This is via text, by the way. <laughs> he said, oh, no, you can't do that. He goes, you'll have people coming from the highways. We don't have enough car park space. That's all I want you to know. I want you to know that Jesus is beautiful. I don't want to preach this morning. I just want you to know that Jesus is beautiful. I want to talk to you this morning like a parent would talk about their child to someone else. When a parent talks about their child, they just want to talk about how beautiful their kid is and their achievements and what they've done. You know, or, or, or someone who loves someone for the first time. They want to talk about them all the time. That's it. I just want to talk to you about how beautiful Jesus is. There's a story about a, a young girl who was an orphan who was critically ill, almost going to die. In fact, she was dying. Um, she didn't have anyone to look after her. She'd have this old lady come in once in the morning and then leave and not much company. She'd do what she had to do. And, but this young girl who's an orphan was dying and the minister in that town had heard of her and he thought, well, you know, I want to go see her. But what possibly can I say to her? And on his way there, he's pondering and is meditating and is thinking, what can I talk to this girl about the comforts and strength of Christ and what can I preach to her, teach her, show her? And he was contemplating, Lord, what do you want me to say to her? What, I mean, she didn't have much in life, she didn't have her family, now her life's taken away from her. And as he's making her way to the, his way to the house, he gets to the front door and he goes up the staircase where she's sleeping in her bed because she's not well. And no sooner does he open the bedroom door, he can see her eyes open because there's a visitor. And as soon as he walks through the, the door, he, the, the girl looks up, eyes wide open, sparkling. And without a word, she says, he is the chiefest among 10,000. They're all together lovely. And I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but that's from a Song of Solomon's. And it's about Jesus Christ. And it's found in Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 7. You are altogether beautiful. My love, there is no flaw in you. This is our Jesus. He is altogether beautiful. 
there is not one single fault in him. There is no mistake. There is no uh, slumber. There is no fault. He is altogether beautiful. My, my love, my love. I want to tell you how beautiful Jesus is. My Jesus is meek. He's gentle. In fact, it was prophesied by Isaiah a thousand years before he was even born that he shall grow up before the face of the Father like a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He doesn't have any form or comeliness and when you shall see him, there is no beauty that you would desire him. That's my Jesus. He's tender. A tender plant in a desert. And he's going to grow up very fragile. And it says that there is no beauty that you should desire him. There's no form or comeliness that when you looked at him, you wouldn't say, wow, look how attractive he is. And such a beautiful thing not to be beautiful. <laughs> because your face may be ugly, but the true character of beauty comes from the soul and the spirit and it overrides your face. There was one girl who struggled with her looks and she goes to her grandma and she goes, I'm so ugly, I'm so ugly. No one likes me, no one loves me, I'm so ugly. And she said to her, let your spirit and soul so shine that it covers your face. That everyone sees the beauty that's within, that they're blinded to the way you look. And this is Jesus, if you didn't realise there's no form or comeliness that when we looked at him, we'd see him ugly. Wow. Why? Why? Because we live in a world today that only those who prosper in, in charisma or looks or beauty prosper in life. You know, you don't see any superstars or, or, or rock stars or movie stars, you know, that, that, that are ugly, do you? And even if they were ugly, they... they, they aesthetically change them so they can appeal to the audience. And a lot of us struggle to watch a hero in a movie if they're not good looking or didn't have that perfect character or personality. Well, here we have Jesus Christ who no form or comeliness that when we looked at him, we don't desire him. So that when man does come to him, it wasn't based on anything that he looked like. That when man came to him, he came purely because of who Jesus was. He was so beautiful. He was so beautiful that amidst the ugliness and the darkness that he became a light that, that just flooded this darkness. Jesus was meek. Very, very meek. Isaiah even says, He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. He was very quiet. He wasn't forceful or arrogant. He wasn't opinionated. He didn't lift up his voice in the street to boast or brag about how much he knew or didn't know. That's our Jesus. He was quiet. Why? Because it led to show that those who came to Jesus didn't come because he had some great campaign, some vocalised uh, message that was loud and pumped with music and speakers. He was quiet because those who came, came because they heard the voice of the Father leading them to him. And the Spirit of God that brought all men to Christ didn't come because Christ was loud, persuasive, forceful. He was quiet. My Jesus is quiet. 
He was also not a busybody or, 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 or um, someone who was so involved in people's lives that had to dictate and determine what each and every person should do. He wasn't like that, my Jesus. Isaiah says, he says, A bruised reed he shall not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. What that meant is, is that he didn't um, uh, um, aggravate a situation, if you like. He didn't come in and deal with a situation that he had no regards for or had nothing to do with him. That's my Jesus. Not like most Christians. Christians feel like they're the Holy Spirit, you know. They've got to move into people's lives and dictate how people should live. That was Jesus. Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus never did that at all. Jesus let a burning flax burn. And when something was breaking, he let it break. That's Christ. He didn't feel like, oh no, oh my goodness, I better do something here because if I don't do something here, something's going to happen. He was at peace and in complete control of his situation. That's Jesus. And this was prophesied a thousand years before Jesus was even born by Isaiah, describing to us what Jesus is going to be like. He was meek, he was humble, he was quiet, he was gentle. He never threatened anyone, you know. When he wanted his way or he wanted a certain thing, he didn't say, oh, give me this or else. Or you better do this or else. As though some threat was going to win him in or win you over. He never did that. In fact, he says to us, um, threaten not when he speaks in the, the, uh, the Beatitudes on the Mount Sermon, Matthew chapter 5. Don't threaten others. That's what most of us do to get our way. We, we kind of um, uh, have some kind of argument or some kind of justification why certain people need to do certain things and some manipulation in order for that to get done. But Jesus never did that. He never did that. We go to court, brother with brother. We take people to court and we say, if you don't do this, you know, this is the society that we live in. But Jesus, never, Jesus Christ never did that. In fact, what Jesus did is he let the burning flax burn and he let the broken reed be broken. Because he even taught that in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, when he gives a parable and he says, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in the field. But when men slept, this enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. Tares are the very things that are, are useless, but they, they actually look like wheat. And in a, in a church or in the kingdom of God, um, while there were Christians who were growing in faith and there's the wheat uh, ready to give forth life of bread, you know, there's these tears that are s- sown uh, in, 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 while we're not looking, whether, while, while we're tired, while we're sleeping, while we're, you know, not sure where it's come from, but the wind's blown it in and these, these seeds of, that, that, that sprout tears, useless, useless weed. But they look like the wheat, they, they look like they're Christian. And he's saying, this is the kingdom of God, it's like this. Verse 27, so the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did not you sow good seed in this field? So where did these tares come from? Verse 28, he said unto them, an enemy has done this. The servants said unto him, will you not then go and gather them up? What happened? Like, don't you preach the gospel here, like in its truth and its entirety like isn't the gospel here preached 100% without compromise but how is it that there's people in the church who are casual or complacent or or carnal like where did they come from 
How is it that when you're planting seeds of righteousness, there's unrighteousness? It doesn't make sense. So shouldn't you deal with the unrighteousness that happens in the church? Like, shouldn't you be dealing with that person who's doing this and that person who's doing that and that person who's doing all these kinds of things that don't represent righteousness? And the master of his house says, no, no. And this is the thing, you know, like it's funny because there's a lot of legalism in churches or a lot of law in churches. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. It's not that when you do those things, we advocate it and we say, good on you, that's fine, we agree with that. No, not at all. It's because the wisdom that Jesus taught us is this. He says, no. Because if you do this, what's going to happen is that you're going to gather up the tares and you're going to uproot the wheat also. Yea, root up also the wheat with them. Verse 30, but let both grow until the harvest and in the time of the harvest. And I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. You see, Jesus is gentle, he's beautiful. He's not forceful. He lets things happen for a time and a season. And we, we ought to be walking in the same spirit of Christ. We don't come in and barge into your life and tell you, what are you doing? This is how it's done, like with the rod. We let faith manifest itself. Those who wheat will be wheat and those the tares will be tares. And in time and in season, when the day is done, the reaper is going to come and is going to seep and see those who are wheat and those who are tares. And those who are tares are going to be bound up and thrown into the fire. And those who are wheat are going to be bound and put into the barn. That's what Jesus was teaching. Because Jesus is gentle. He's beautiful. In fact, when you read the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the, um, on the Mount, when Jesus was saying, blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they, there isn't one thing that he was not. There was not one thing that he was not. When he said, blessed are the meek, he was an example of that. He didn't raise his voice in the street. He didn't, mind you, that's not to say he wasn't firm. It's not to say he wasn't confident. But he wasn't arrogant, rude, spiteful. He was a peacemaker. Jesus Christ was a peacemaker. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to the one that judges righteously. He was a peacemaker. He was a peacemaker because all that mattered to him was the reconciliation of man to man and man to God. That's all that mattered to him. It didn't matter to him whether you agreed or disagreed with him. What mattered to him is that your disagreement was the very thing that was going to turn you away from God. He was a peacemaker. And you know the story when the woman was caught in adultery and they dragged her into, into the, the synagogue while he was there preaching or teaching. And there she was, I reckon, I imagine her to be uh, half, half, you know, clothed because she was caught in the very act of it. So she didn't even have time to get clothes on. They dragged her out, she probably grabbed the bed sheet and wrapped herself with the bed sheet and there she was in the synagogue having, having in the act of adultery. This act of adultery, she should have been stoned. She should have been stoned, Christians. By the law, it was just to kill her. Do you understand? There was every reason by the law that she should die. 
The law was given by the Father. The law that Jesus was, was told about, that this is what should happen, which he, as though he didn't know, was the actual law that was given by the Father himself. And there was the Son now, at odds. The Father said, stone her. He was there, put into a test as to what to do. If you talk about love, what do we, what do, we do here? Because if you're really from the Father, you should stone her. Is that right? Like, you know, let's prove that you're the Messiah. Let's prove that you're from God. You should say, stone her. And this is the argument a lot of Christians talk and say because they look at theology and they look at all these doctrines and the doctrine becomes the master, not Christ. Because there's a spirit that ought to be lived, not a knowledge that ought to be had. And so there was Jesus Christ. He's looking at this woman caught in adultery. And the very thing that overrid the law was the very thing that was in his heart. And what was in his heart? What was in his heart? His heart was love, love, peace, peace, love, the fulfillment of the law, love, the very thing that he came to represent, to reflect. So there, there, she, there, there she was. They already had stones. They, were ready. they, were, they, they wanted to uh, stone her. They, they, they gathered a mob into this holy place of God ready to throw stones at her. And what did Jesus do? Did Jesus break God's law? Or did he fulfill it? Or did he, 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 he showed us what the law was to do? So he says, which one of you is without sin, cast the first stone? Which one of you is without sin, cast the first stone? Did he say, you shouldn't cast the first stone? Did he say, we shouldn't keep the laws of God? No, he didn't. But what mattered to him was the heart of reconciliation and repentance. Give us space to repent. That's the spirit of Christ. Give us space of mercy and forgiveness and love. That's the spirit of Christ. He didn't break God's laws. But he just said, which one of you is without sin? Which one? If there's any one of you without sin, I give you permission to stone her. Now listen, this is extraordinary. Because there is one person that was without sin, and that was Jesus Christ himself. So why didn't Jesus then stone her? When they all dropped their stones one by one, they walked off. Why didn't Jesus himself stone her? If he was a righteous man and someone who's obedient to the laws of God, why didn't he stone her? Because there is a truth that is greater than the law of God, and that is the truth of love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love overrides everything Love, and I'm not talking about the love of man, I'm talking about the love of God. The love of man is, 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 is filth, but the love of God is pure and holy and righteous. And most of us, we lack the love of God, but we have the love of man. And we pride ourselves in the love of man, and we develop a self-righteousness that is blinding us to the love of God. It's the love of God that compels you to forgive. It compels you to reconcile. It compels you to sacrifice. It compels you to do no other thing than to obey God the Father. It's the divine love of God that gives you this wisdom, this understanding, this freedom, this salvation. This, not the law, not self-righteousness, not what you think is right or what is wrong. Love compels you to do this. And this love overrides all the law. No one needs to tell you what to do or not to do when you love God. 
No one needs to tell you how to do it when you love God. Hey, you might goof up, you might mess up, but don't mess up loving God. You might not do it perfectly, but love God perfectly. And can you love God perfectly? Of course you can love God perfectly. Don't listen to the rubbish when people say to you, oh, you can't love God perfectly. Why can't I love God perfectly? It's like saying I can't love my wife perfectly. If my wife knew I, don't, I, can't, I can't love you perfectly, she'd get upset. So why would we say to God, I can't love God perfectly? In fact, Jesus says, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The heavenly Father loved you perfectly in sending his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the judgment of Jesus Christ is always righteous. It's not man, it's not man, it didn't come from him. And I'll tell you what that means. That means this, that everything that Jesus did, every decision he made, every wisdom he, he gave was not about him. It was always about the Father. And this is righteous judgment. Most of the judgment that we do is always about us, most of it. It's about us, it's how we feel about it, how, what it did for me. That circuit, how it hurt me, um, it, it annoyed me, it frustrated me. i got my own perceptions, my ideas, how I should live life. And because it doesn't follow or fit within my own assumptions, I judge you. That's not righteous judgment. And I would say, I honestly say, that a great majority of judgment that happens in church and Christians today is self-righteous judgment. Most of it's blinded. But the righteousness that Jesus was not about me. It's not about me. It's about your relationship with my Father. It's about your peace, your grace, your comfort, your joy. It's about that. So when I'm upset with you about something because you've committed adultery, it's not because you've ruined my reputation. It's because your soul is broken and wounded before a loving God. That's, that's, that's the judgment of Christ. That's why he was able to turn to the woman caught in adultery and says, where, is there anyone here that condemns you? And she says, no, no. She goes, then go, neither do I. And this is Jesus, the peacemaker. Jesus didn't come to condemn you or to, to destroy you. He came to serve you. He came to minister unto you, to lead you. He didn't come to, to judge you and cast you out into hell. You're already going to hell. He came to change your direction, to take you away. This is my Christ. He's beautiful. He's beautiful. He's pure in heart. He was pure in heart. One day, Jesus was talking to the disciples, and he was trying to explain to them that he's not here long. He's going to die soon. And he says these beautiful words, John chapter 14, verse 29, and now I have told you before it comes to pass, I'm telling you before it happens, that when it comes to pass, when it happens, that you might believe. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. I won't say anything anymore. <laughs> For the prince of this world comes and has nothing in me. How beautiful is that? He's basically saying, listen, I'm going to die and I'm letting you know now so when it happens, you're not all kind of shaken up by it, you know, like you're not kind of going, oh, what happened now? So that when it happens, you believe, you believe that I've been saying this all this time because the prince of the world is coming and he's here and he found nothing in me. This is extraordinary. 
Jesus was able to claim that the devil, when he came and he was looking straight into Christ and he was looking straight into his mind and straight into his heart and straight into his soul, he could not find anything to claim over him. He had nothing over Christ. There was no crack, there was no fault, there was no nothing. So Jesus Christ was able to claim that over all those years of his life that there was nothing that lended itself to the enemy. And he's telling that to because he was pure in heart. He was perfect. He was pure in heart. There was not one fault, not one thing the devil could find in his life to kind of hold him or, or, or keep him to account to. Because he was pure in heart. Why? Why did he need to be pure in heart? Why didn't he go and indulge? Why didn't he go and do whatever he wanted to do? Rule the kingdoms, you know, stand over the, the cliffs and look at all the glitter and gold and say, yes, I'll serve you, Satan, and give me a... Why didn't he? Because love compelled him. <laughs> he couldn't do any other thing than to continue submitting himself to the Father because love compelled him to. You know, sometimes we talk about Jesus, you know, Jesus was merciful. Jesus wasn't merciful. Jesus wasn't merciful. Jesus was mercy. You understand? Jesus doesn't think, I'll need to be merciful. Jesus is mercy. He, he, he doesn't do any other thing outside of his mercy. When, when people are cast into judgment in hell, it is out of mercy. Mercy for righteousness. Mercy for the righteous. Jesus is mercy. He's pure in heart. He's pure in heart. And everything he does, because there's no fault in him, everything he does is perfect. Everything he does. You know, did you know it was Jesus who actually created the world? Jesus created the world. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John chapter 1, verse 3. John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world did not even know him. Jesus made the world. And it's beautiful when you read in the first chapter in the book of Genesis, when God made something, what did he say? It was good. Because everything that God does, everything is perfect. It was good. When he created the, the light, it was good. When he created the earth, it was good. When he created the animals, it was good. Everything was good. Because Jesus made it. And that's why we read in Mark chapter 7, verse 37, and they were beyond measure astonished. These are the people saying, he has done all things well. He makes the, both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. He makes all all things well. There isn't anything that Jesus does that is not good. And so why then do you turn away from him? Why then do you go and seek other things when Jesus is so beautiful? When everything that Jesus does is perfect. You know, Jesus was also very clever, very smart, very intelligent, full of wisdom. Jesus is beautiful. When they came to him to test him, to try him, to see if we can find some fault in him, and they said to him, tell us, Jesus, um, what should we do with our money? Should we give it to taxes? Should we pay tribute? Jesus is beautiful, very clever. He said, come here. 
show me your coin. They showed him the coin. He goes, whose face is on the coin? Oh, Caesar's. So what are you doing with Caesar's money? <laughs> Give it back to Caesar. <laughs> Give it back to Caesar. What are you doing with his money? So, so clever. Another time they came to him and they said, oh, tell us, Jesus, who are you? He said, I'm not going to answer that. You tell me first who's John the Baptist. Well, that threw them off. Because if they say John the Baptist was a prophet, their whole mob will go against them. And if they say John the Baptist wasn't a prophet, the other mob will go against them. So they just stood there looking at him. So clever. But why does he do that? <laughs> Not because he's trying to win a debate like most Christians. Not because they're trying to win an argument. No, he doesn't. Because he's drawing people to faith. He's drawing people to think. Think about it. Judge it. And he's leading people to salvation. That's why Jesus is beautiful. He didn't go around saying, oh, got him good there. <laughs> hey, gave a nudge to his disciples and said, <laughs> they all patted him on the back, go, oh, Jesus, move on. He was beautiful because he knew how to draw people to him. In fact, when he spoke to the lady who said, Lord God, give me, help me, and he says to her, no, I'm, not, I'm not helping you. She goes, oh, please help me. And he goes, no, I didn't come for you. I came for the Jews. You know, I didn't come for you. She goes, but even the Jews get to eat the, the, the food. You know, Even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the master's table. And Jesus literally basically said to her, you're a dog. But even in those words, even those words, those words weren't harsh or aggressive. Those words were the very words of life that were to draw out of her faith. So that when she said, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the master's table, there God had nourished faith. It was a gift given to her. That among all the Israelites, this one here happened to enter the kingdom before all of them. You know? It was a gift. Because that's how beautiful Jesus is. Even his harsh words are roses. You know? <laughs> Even his anger is a soft pillow to sleep on. This is how beautiful Jesus is. And you know what I think is most of all beautiful about my Jesus? My Jesus is present. That's the most beautiful thing about my Jesus because what good is it <laughs> if he was absent? Because I'd be forever yearning and desiring and never having. But he is present. He even said it to his disciples when two or three, listen, John, Peter, Andrew, listen to me clearly. When you and Peter get together, I'm going to be there. Listen. Andrew, when you... And John, get together, I'm going to be there. Not only am I going to be there, but when you guys agree on the same thing because of me, consider it done. That's what he said. Consider it done. I'm going to the Father, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to give you the comforter, the, the Holy Spirit, And when I'm finished, I'm coming back to take you. But for now, I'm in the midst of you. Whatever you want, whatever you need, call my name 
And if you all agree on this, it's going to be done. Who wants to walk out of this church this morning not knowing Jesus? It'd be absurd, right? It'd be crazy. It'd be like mad. It'd be blindness. It'd be unbelief. It'll be deception. There was a man in the history centuries ago, theologian. He says this. He says, He began his ministry by being hungry, yet he is the bread of life. Jesus ended his earthly ministry by being thirsty, yet he is the living water. Jesus was weary, yet he is our rest. Jesus paid tribute, yet he is the king. Jesus was accused of having a demon, yet he cast out demons. Jesus wept, yet he wipes our tears. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, yet he redeemed the world with his own blood. Jesus was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he is the good shepherd. Jesus died, yet he is life. How good is Jesus? How good is Jesus? How beautiful is Jesus? In the words of Philip Sandifer, if you want to keep being a loser, then keep living a loser's life. But if you decide you want to serve the living king, then give him your burden and he will give you everything. Let's bow our heads in prayer. How beautiful is Jesus? I don't think any words can express how beautiful Jesus is other than the heart that says, Lord God, I want you. I need you. I want to receive you because you are altogether beautiful. You can nod your head and say, yes, Jesus is beautiful, but unless you give him your life and you submit yourself to him and completely surrender every part of your life to him, then they're just words and they're just vanity. But if Jesus is indeed beautiful to you, if he is indeed beautiful to you, then you can't do any other thing than a moth to a candle. You go running to him. Those of you who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't know his beauty, I urge you to come before him this morning and ask him, Lord God, forgive me for all my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I just want the beauty of your holiness in my life. I don't know much about you, but I want to learn about you. I want to know about you. I want to know everything about you. Lord Jesus, teach me. Because at the moment in my life, I need your beauty. I need you. And if your life is miserable and ugly and you need something beautiful, then come to Jesus. If you need something beautiful, come to Christ. And let him make beautiful things out of your life.
The message is very simple this morning. It is the beauty of Jesus Christ. It is his goodness, his peace, his love, his mercy that draws all men to him. And if you're needing that beauty, come to Christ. God will reject no man that comes to him. He refuses no one. And if you look into your heart and you look into your life and all you see is ugliness, hardness, bitterness, well then you get to choose whether you want to continue in life like this or whether you make Christ all that is beautiful in you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord God, for the hearers this word this morning, Father. You know them by name. You know every one of them. I pray, Lord God, that you would draw them deeper and deeper into the beauty of your holiness, into the beauty of your righteousness, into the peace, into the grace. Father, I pray that you keep calling them. Thank you, Father, for your goodness upon us and the grace that you've poured out upon us. Thank you, Father, for the joy and the love. I pray, Father, that you protect us and shield us from the enemy. Keep us safe over the week. Go before us, Lord God, in our plans and our endeavours. Father, you may take us by the hand till you return, that you would bring us more and more into the image of your Son, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.